1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, the Bible says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Causes problems in marriages, causes problems in homes, causes problems in the world. Bernie Madoff, y'all remember that name? The love of money. The love of money. But you know what? For every Bernie Madoff, there's probably 10,000 guys out there that are working nowhere jobs, not making a lot of money, and they're so upset about somebody else having more money than them. It's not just the rich folks that have a love of money. It's poor folks that have a love of money. The Bible warns us not to stay up late, not to rise up early to try to gain money that we don't really need. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. One who rules his own house well. Folks, one of the things we need to remember as men is that it's our house. It's our responsibility to see that it's well-ordered. It's not the woman's place to make sure that the house is well-ordered. It's the husband's place to see that the house is well-ordered. He ought to be living with his wife with understanding. Does that mean that you're supposed to do all the cleaning, all the cooking, take care of the babies while she sits around on the couch and watches soap operas? Certainly not. And from what I've seen the other day when I was in helping take care of my mom, soap operas are going off the air anyway, so it's going to have to be reality shows. But that's not it. Marriage is a 100%, 100% proposition. Both parties need to be putting 100% of everything they are into honoring God and being married. The house needs to be well-ordered, though. There has to be some leadership in it. doesn't mean that the guy comes in and says it's going to be this, 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 or the highway because you don't have that right. The man has to come into the house and he has to make sure that the house is well-ordered. means that he's going to check around with the folks that are involved in that house. Sometimes you can even ask your children, hey, what do you think about this? What should we do? They have the right to give you some input. You also have the right to reject that input if it's wrong. It's not the wife's responsibility. It's not the child's responsibility. It is the responsibility of the husband to see that it's well-ordered. The other thing it says is he's having his children in submission with all reverence. Folks, the home is supposed to be a place of dignity. The home is supposed to be a place of dignity. Your children ought to listen to you. If they're not willing to listen to you and do what you're told to do, let me tell you what. It's going to be a bad indication of the way you parent. I've known some people that would not be invited to come to uh, social activities because their children were so bad. There are some folks that I just flat wouldn't go over their house because they wouldn't let me beat their kids, and somebody needed to. One of the greatest compliments that we used to get, Becky and I, whenever our boys were little, said, your boys are just so well-behaved in public. I said, yes, they are. But our children need... They need to be in submission with reverence. The home certainly is. It's a place of dignity. There should be dignity there. There should be some, some respect for one another, honoring God, and a little bit of uh, just mutual admiration among the family. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Look what it says. We've got a little parenthetical addition to verse 4. It says, For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? This verse right here is the one that brought out to my attention that 
these characteristics would be good for every man, for every family. You see, this is the one verse that has made me almost quit the pastorate on several occasions. If a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? There were times when I felt like my house was just out of order. And I was disqualified from leading God's people. Folks, it is more important for a man to have his own house in order than it is for him to have his vocation in order. It's more important for a man to be doing what God would have him to do in his own house than it is for him to be doing what he is ever he's doing out in the world. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not to do everything that you need to. But I do want you to understand this. How a man leads his own family is an excellent indicator of how he will lead in his vocation. How a man leads in his own family is an excellent indicator of how he will perform in his job situation. Say, oh, I know guys that are great on their jobs, but when they come home, oh, they're just not so good at all. Well, there's a character flaw there that if you keep them long enough on the job, will show up there too. Have you seen the statement, where your heart is, that's where your treasure's at? Home is where the heart is. How we love our families is going to influence how we love the rest of things because our family is supposed to be the most valuable thing, this side of God, that we have. Husbands, you're to love your wives only with less love than you love Christ. And you shouldn't even love them with less love. You should love them with the same amount of love, but with a slightly different love. We love God with all our hearts, our minds, and souls. And, and Christ says we're to love our wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for us. And we're to love our children and we're to direct them, but we're not to place them above our wives. Wives, you're not to place children above your husbands, but you're certainly not supposed to throw them underneath your job. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Not a novice, not immature, not untrained in the faith. Husbands, not a novice, not a rookie, not immature, not untrained in the faith. Right here, I think, is probably one of the biggest ingredients missing in the role of the husband, the father, in our world today. We have way too many men who don't know the first thing about God and salvation. We have way too many men who don't know the first thing about living for Christ. And because of that, it's hard to find a good husband, hard to find a good father. And it shouldn't be so. When do men learn their training in faith? Well, they'll learn it as boys. They'll learn it as boys. You know, in the, in the Jewish culture and in a lot of cultures around the world, there's a certain age whenever a, a, a boy becomes a man. He knows he's a man because he's come to a point in his life where he's been told that he's a man. Age 13 when they had the bar mitzvah. It's a, literally a change of life. You're no longer under the authority of the woman as a child to be taught by women, to be led by women. You're now considered a man, to be brought with the men, to walk with the men, to live like a man, to be trained as a man. And they ought to be getting there before then. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he grows old, he'll not depart from it. 
An immature man given authority will be tempted to think more highly of himself than he should, and he'll become prideful and arrogant. Look at that verse again. Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. When you have somebody who is given authority without being given the training, without being given uh, the responsibilities a little at a time, then the next thing you know, they get a little bit of knowledge, they get a little bit of authority, and then they get a big head. I've seen that more often than I care to. We need to avoid it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he should fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Man needs to have a good testimony in the world around him. He needs to have a good reputation in the town as well as in his home. A man needs to have a good reputation in the town that he lives, in the society where he works, as well as at his home. Living Hope, the church in the field, our first value statement is that God be well spoken of within our, well, within our sphere of influence. We want God to be well spoken of in the places that we hang out at. Why? Because we live our lives in a manner that honors God. Not just the men, but the women and the children. If we are doing and being the church in the field that God has called us to do, our reputation among the folks in the town that we live in will be those are good people. They may not agree with what the world has to say on issues, but they work hard, they're honest, they're loving, they care. I think about Daniel. Whenever there was a group of folks, politicians wanting to destroy Daniel, they said, you know, the only way that we're going to be able to get Daniel is if we pass a law that says that he can't practice his religion because he does everything right. So they passed a law saying he couldn't pray to anybody except to the king of Babylon. And of course, Daniel, the first thing he did when he got up in the morning was he prayed. He didn't hide and pray. He hid and prayed just like he always did. And so they came and arrested him. And what happened? Well, God took care of him. God took care of him. There's a young pastor in Iran right now. Have you all been hearing about this young man? Converted from Islam to Christianity, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been arrested for quite some time because he will not repent. He will not recant Jesus Christ. He is scheduled to be executed by the Iranian government. And our government hasn't done a whole lot to help him. But you know what? He doesn't seem to care about that. He says, it doesn't matter. You can kill me if you want. I'm still going to honor God. He's got a good reputation in the town that he lives in. Well, finally, why don't you look back at 1 Timothy 3, 7, 8 again. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he should fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Oops. Back up here. I've got a misprint. 6 and 7. Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Folks, you see what's the same on the bottom end of both of those verses? Verse 6 says, into the same condemnation as the devil. Verse 7 says, the snare of the devil. Uh, husbands, men, we need to avoid the condemnation and the snare of the devil. And what is that? That snare? That snare, more often than not, is I do not need God. I do not need God. 
What was it that got Satan in trouble? Satan was known as Lucifer. He lived in the very presence of God. He was there at the throne of God. And one day he said, I will exalt myself above the throne of God. I will be like the most high God. That's a short version of what he had to say. But he said, I'm going to replace God in my life. I don't need God. I'm greater than God. God just doesn't really matter. I don't need God. I am going to be God. And God said, oh, not so, Satan. Thumped him out. Now Satan's been wandering around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Adam and Eve, when they came to the garden, and Satan came to Eve and said, reason why God doesn't want you to eat of that fruit because the day you eat of it, you're going to be like God. You're going to know right from wrong. Eve said, I'll take it. I don't really need God. I can know without him. What happened? Nothing but problems have come since then. Folks, when we get to the point where we say, I don't need God, then trouble comes on us because we do need God. As a nation in 1962, 1963, our government, our Supreme Court said that our schools do not need God. You can't pray in school anymore. You can't read the Bible. Prior to that time in our nation, they would open the school day with a simple prayer saying, God, protect our families, protect our school, protect our teachers, protect our government, protect our nation, something to that effect. And then they would read some scripture. And because one atheist woman came in, Madeline Murray O'Hara, and said, I don't want that. I don't want my son exposed to that. They took it to court, and our court said, nope, you can't do that anymore. And they took it out, and the Christians sat around and let it happen. They said, I don't need God. We don't need God. Now, I will tell you this. If you look at the statistics, crime in our school, crime in our school went up at a 45-degree angle. It had been running almost a flat line, a continuous. There were a few people that caused problems in the school, and they were doing some real terrible things in the school. They were chewing gum. They were talking in class. They were getting out of line. In 1963, the line went up at a 45-degree angle and, and climbed steadily until 1973, where it went up at an even sharper angle. The crimes were no longer chewing gum, getting out of line, or talking in class. Now, in our schools, we deal with guns, we deal with murder, we deal with rape, we deal with drug dealers, all these things in a school district that says, in a school system that says, we don't need God. <clears throat> when we say we don't need God, we fall into condemnation as a nation. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 9. Back where we started at. Verse 36. But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Folks, I ask this question, what would Jesus say about our families? If we were to have Jesus just drop in and, and, and give us his lowdown about what's happening in our families, and not just within living hope, but within our nation as a whole, but also within living hope and within our individual families, what would he have to say? Would he look on us and would he say that we appear to be weary that we're run ragged, that we've got so much going on that we don't have time to honor God and honor each other, love each other the way we should? Would he say that we're scattered in so many ways, running here to and fro, trying to do so many things that we can't seem to do, as if there's no leadership within our families? Would he have compassion on us? 
and say, oh, I need to slow you down. Or would he say, truly the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We are the Lord's harvest. We are the Lord's laborers. We are his ambassadors. We're his examples. We're the ones that he has here in this day, in this hour, in this generation to be the salt and light to influence the lives of other people. But we have to begin at our own home. We have to begin at our own homes. We have to love one another. We have to seek after God. We need to do all that we can do and pray and ask God to give us guidance.